Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Tressa Bolden, and she talks to us about her horse journey, what it was like growing up in Sonoma County, and how much of it has changed, and some specific people who have changed her entire trajectory in life. So, hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by Optimal Flow Personal Training. Flo is a personal trainer and a world-renowned athlete that focuses on improving strength, mobility, power, and neuromuscular control. She specializes in correcting muscle imbalances that will benefit your health and prevent injury so optimal strength and peak performance can be reached. She can come to you in the Sonoma County area, meet you online, or she can write personalized workouts and pre-recorded videos so you can do them at home, at the gym, and on your own time. Reach her at OptimalFlow.com. That's spelled O-P-T-I-M-A-L-F-L-O.com. Stable Connections is sponsored by Sonia Hollander. Sonia's lifetime of exposure to real estate brings a wealth of knowledge and comfort in real estate matters. She truly excels in helping people find their dream property. Contact her today, S-O-N-Y-A, at ranchhomeproperty.com. How did horses come into your life? At a very early age. I think the first time I ever sat on a horse was when I was about 16 months old. And my father put me on one of the neighborhood family's pony. I actually have a picture of it. Oh, cool. Yeah. And was this in Sonoma County? Uh, it was. It was in Hillsburg. Okay. Yeah. And were either of your parents into horses? You know, my father, as a child, he would visit the family property that was up in Geyserville. At the time, Geyserville had, you know, probably not a lot going on. There were vineyards and they were cattle ranchers. And he'd visit and he'd go riding as a boy and it was kind of his getaway. His life made it so that he he needed that getaway. So you were really young when you first got put on, but when did you feel like you started really consistently? Well. My mother said that out of the blue, I just started asking for horses. And I don't recall that age, you know, as most people don't. It really just never went away. And my father, as I turned, I think maybe four or five, purchased a pony, probably from an auction. We lived in Katati. My father was a Vietnam vet and he had built this house on the property in Katati off of those funds and he liked to have animals as well so he decided getting me a pony was a good idea he got one from the auction yard and I would say it was probably not the nicest pony because I do have memories of my father putting me on and say okay steer and I was tiny I was probably four or five years old <laughs> and the pony taking off and rubbing me off on trees and me falling and hitting the ground and crying and him going oh come on you know you can do this I mean of course from his perspective that was going to toughen me up probably it actually created a fear in me really as a young child but my desire of uh wanting to be with horses never went away yeah that's good that it didn't yeah. steer yeah. you away because it definitely could yeah yeah so we lived on this property i really didn't have a lot of connection to other children because they the neighbors were really far away and i think like the two girls that lived on a, a neighboring property like my mom would let me go play with them but they weren't very nice so i really wanted to go to school and i remember being in like preschool and stuff in Katati and then my mom because this is like in the 70s and there was still this taste of the hippie 
movement and women being, you know, independent, which probably my father didn't appreciate too much, uh, decided to enter me into this private school called Children's Workshop. That's actually where I got my first riding lessons from because there was a mother who started a 4-H program and it was called the Pony Express, Marsha Crombach. I'm not even sure if she's around anymore, but she was my first riding teacher. Okay. Yeah. And did you stay with her for a while? I rode with her probably six, seven, maybe eight years old. I'm not really sure because I can't Life remember. Happens. Yeah, yeah, I'm older now and I, I can't keep track. But, you know, we got lessons maybe once or twice a week. We got to go in the Petaluma Parade. It was really about empowering children. You know, they were coming from a place of development and, you know, teaching us things like you have to go through all these steps in order to be with horses you need to learn how to catch the pony and, and, and mind you back then they were all Shetlands or Welsh mountain ponies and they were fierce and some of them had fierce that's yeah, a good word some of them had uh, you know instincts to run away from small children so we might that might have been our whole lesson we couldn't have caught caught our pony we weren't riding that day but if we did catch it we were extremely happy and of course we had support they didn't just say go in the field and do it they would instruct us or stand there and say okay we'll try this and you know yeah <laughs> did you find a sense of community with kids there I did fast forward a little bit I mean it seemed like a long period to me but it, it was probably you know within a year or something my parents separated so my mom's first actual house, I mean, she had rented a little house in, in the interim, but our first actual house was in a trailer park in Runner Park on the expressway there. Okay. And I had met a friend there and we both loved horses. And at the time, all those fields on the expressway were all fields, they were hay fields. And there was like a neighborhood that had horses and stuff. But we both soon discovered that we both had a passion for horses and she somehow had been entered into Marsha's program as well without being connected to that school. So we got to go to have riding lessons and her father also was a Vietnam vet and her oh, mother and father were also splitting. So we also had that connection. Camaraderie, yeah. Yeah, so that was our saving space. That was our sanctuary, you know, yeah. as kids. Going through divorce, watching your parents do that and also seeing your fathers be destroyed by something that you didn't quite understand at that point, you know. Yeah. It was hard to watch. Yeah, but it's amazing I, to have a friend that... Yeah, we, had, we both had a passion and a flair for horses, and we were wild things. Yeah. You know, we uh, would hook each other up to our wagons. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, the, going back a little bit, my dad's cousin, so it was my second cousin, we had roots on the racetrack in Pleasanton, and his father before that, with the racing community. And so he would send me, through my grandparents, tack. So I'd get a bridle, a <laughs> racing bridle, stuff. or, you know, a bit or something. And we would, my girlfriend and I, we'd spend hours just cleaning the tack. And, you know, we were engaged in, in wanting to be horse people. And we'd hook each other up to the wagon, maybe <laughs> maybe drive each other around the trailer park. Or later on, we decided that we named our 10-speed uh, bikes that were way too big for us. They were our parents' 10-speed bikes. We uh, hooked the brakes up with the reins. And somehow, I don't know how the heck we did it, we rode around on these bikes to practice our two points and our jumping. And we'd jump off curbs and, That's know. amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was really, really funny. But we were practicing in our head. We were practicing to be horse people. Yeah. And we both became horse people. 
And at that time, did you want to be a trainer or a... Oh, I, I, at the time, I thought I wanted to ride racehorses or I wanted to be a, a Native American. Oh, wow. And I wanted to run away into the Sonoma Mountains and live off the land with my horses was the other idea. So pretty extreme, you know. But that is very when extreme. When you're a little kid, your ideas are all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, the funny thing is, is as a marker to the time you know there was a point where I said okay mom we're doing it we're running away to the Sonoma Mountains and my friend and I we packed up our wagon <laughs> and we went on the Sonoma you know the um, expressway there yeah and it you know if you keep going it leads to the Sonoma Mountains yeah how old were you at this time six Perfect. or seven maybe did she watch you do this? No, because back then there was no fear of being I guess abducted. that's true. That's what I'm saying. It's a marker of the time. There was no fear. Yeah. Like, I, I used to walk to the pet store every day, yeah. which was across the bridge. And, and less cars and less yeah, yeah, we'd be gone all day long, all day long. And just in the creeks, come back with brambles and burrs in our hair and a bunch of polylogs. And a smile on your face. Yeah. No, we were free. We yeah. were really free. And so we were able to tap into that. My mom as she was separated from my dad met my stepdad and i was about 10 so we moved away from runner park and we moved to sebastopol and uh, it was the first time i was in the country of course at the time when you're a kid you don't like change so you're saying oh no you know i i can't stand it's too quiet out here you know <laughs> all these silly things i look back now and i'm like i love the quiet yeah it's so dreamy yeah <laughs> but it was really a blessing because back then we could look through the newspaper and stroll through all the horse ads and i would call on the horse ads in a, in a dream that i might get my own horse someday i called on this one pony i think so many times the woman finally said okay just come out and look at the pony Huh? And so I, my, I talked my mom into it. I'm like, please, I'm just going to look at the pony. She said, she invited me to come ride it. Will you take me out there? She did. It was on Bodega Road, like as you're climbing the hill to go into Freestone. And uh, I went and rode the pony. She's like, the pony hasn't been ridden in years, but I put a halter on it and jumped on it. Now you're and like, oh God. And I think oh the God. first time it tried to bite me um, and take off. But somehow, you know, I stuck that as a little kid because I had no fear and I was so eager <laughs> and I kept bothering the lady to come out and ride the pony because it hadn't sold. And she finally just said, Kit, take the pony. Really? <laughs> yeah. And in the neighborhood my parents were renting, there was a woman who cleaned harness. And she cleaned for a man who had the standardbreds in San Francisco. And so I w learned to clean harness to make money. And she said, you can keep the pony on my property and you'll help me and and I'll take care of your pony so I had a place to keep my pony and at that time you know Sebastopol was an open range you could ride anywhere my friend Tanya acquired a couple of horses and her and I went and rode together we would ride from Grayton to out to Mount Gilead on the backs of these horses. Uh, we'd ride down the Santa Rosa Creeks through the vineyards. We blazed trails and mapped out trails all through the hills there. You know, it was a beautiful thing, something I don't think I could ever recreate, you know? No, I think I think that's an amazing memory to oh, have. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I cherish that. It was such a privilege, really, yeah. you know, as an experience as a kid. Yeah. And, and it was healing. For yeah. sure, yeah. yeah, to go through something like divorce and all those things and mm -hmm. to be able to have this passion to kind of healthily distract you from 
Yeah, it, it distracted me, but it also, Grounded. there's so much that the horses teach us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So my passion really only grew, and it, it made me brave in the way that it encouraged me to reach out to other people who maybe had horses. As my mom and my stepfather uh, ended up buying a house in Sebastopol, they still own the same house, there was a woman who lived catty corner to them who's deeply ingrained in the community. Her family's been here for generations. They had a car dealership. I went over and said, I saw that you have horses. I'll do anything to be able to ride after my pony. That first one? Yeah, the pony that I had acquired from the newspaper ad. Mm -hmm. You know, I was maybe coming 12, and my friend in Sebastopol, her her family had horses, and I was kind of outgrowing the pony. You know, I loved the pony, but her little sisters needed something to ride. And I had been offered to get a horse. My cousin, second cousin on the racetrack, and he said there's a horse from a fellow trainer and he's been laid off. He had broken his sesamoid, it's healed. They did all the layup. They're not gonna put him back on the track, but if you want him, you can have him. So my grandparents- Yes, a thoroughbred for the first horse. Yeah, not knowing anything, you know, and I had ridden thoroughbreds in, in that riding program, but you know, they were trained to a degree. My parents not really knowing anything, my grandparents not really knowing anything, Mm -hmm. and just going, yeah, go for it. You know what I mean? Again, we're back in like, you know, the 70s, 80s. Yeah. Did you have a trainer at the time? No. 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 Figuring it out on I had horse people around me. Yep. But I didn't have a trainer. Okay. Were there there not many trainers? No, there were lots of trainers, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have money. Ah, I see. Yeah. So the knowledge I was acquiring at that time was in lieu of work. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where fast forward again back to my parents moving, getting a house. I got this horse. My grandfather came up, helped us build a place for the horse, but I had no arena to ride in. I had apple orchards, and this is a thoroughbred straight off the racetrack, <laughs> three years old. Okay. They're like, oh, yeah, let him down for a little bit, you know, let him settle into the area, and then you can start working with him you know and i'm thinking oh, i'm just going to jump on and ride and i did i did and i got i think i counted a total of maybe three times that i got launched off of him but other than that i stayed on the horse it's the best way to learn uh, yeah and <laughs> i had a feeling for him yeah so anyway I, I met my neighbor she became kind of a mentor to me and kind of a second home and i would clean all her stalls which at the time she wasn't really using except to feed so they were like two feet deep in muck and so i cleaned those impeccably i bedded them i cleaned out her whole barn organized her attack i mean for me this wasn't work it was fun and i was imagining what it was going to be like to have my own place so it wasn't work it was absolute fun and she let me ride the horse and she was an experienced horsewoman she came from you know obviously a wealthier background she helped me out you know she gave me pointers she had her own kids who were also riders but she was generous in that way and so my mom would treat me to lessons and that's basically how i would get lessons so Mm -hmm. i would find somebody i wanted to ride with i mean i rode with anybody and everybody who was somebody in this county as a kid you know and would you haul to them or would it that no i if i if my horse went anywhere i actually walked it on foot (laughs) and in fact i walked that thoroughbred on foot all the way to the wranglers arena to be in a show with my friend tanya with her little quarter horse that she had she had ridden from grayton 
we camped out over at my house and then we didn't have clippers we didn't own anything so we did it with scissors oh, wow. <laughs> you know and we prepared and it was so exciting and we cleaned our tack and we took our horses and so you know I think we uh, both rode in a class with our own horses and then switched horses and rode in a class <laughs> yeah. and she ended up getting launched off of my thoroughbred and I you know probably came in sixth place or something so we you know we were in good practice of losing <laughs> because we didn't have the means to do well but you know later in life as I entered high school my work was paying off more and more at that time I walked down the street there was a uh, another woman who owned a, a shop saddle shop and ranch working ranch she taught English and Western and she started Colts and I walked up her and I said I want to be a trainer and I want to learn and she goes, well, what do you want to get paid? And I said, well, just enough to cover the hay on my horse. Of course, I, you know, probably should have asked for a bit more. So at the time, I was getting maybe $75 a month. Oh, wow. Well, and hay at the time wasn't that expensive. <laughs> no, it was like, you know, 8 to $10 or something. But they taught me a lot. She taught me how to start colts. Uh, she taught me a lot about horsemanship and safety. I ended up starting a lot of young horses for her. I went to shows and showed the young horses, which also meant, you know, I was never in the winning per se. If I got a third place, I was excited. I taught the summer camps. I worked the feed stores. I cleaned all the paddocks. I would ride my bike there and sometimes her son would give me a ride back. From there, I also worked for other people and one of them was a famous cutting horse trainer in the area. Worked for him, we did 30 head of horses a day. But at some point, I think it was around when I was 13, I had seen on the TV, I saw dressage. And it was Gwen Stockerbrand. And she had, you know, she was the person who brought dressage to this community. So I begged my mom, I said, look, I, wa I wanna do that, because I wanna know how to communicate with a horse and dance with it you know <laughs> so at i think the age of 12 almost 13 i was a working student for her for the first time and you know we pick up the rocks out of the arena clean tack all the stuff learn to do all the stuff and um and then if we got to sit on a horse by the end of the week we were really ecstatic we had earned that mm -hmm. and we got to sit on you know nice horses myself yep. and other people from there I continued with these other people I was working with I got involved with Morgan horses ended up working for the president of the Morgan Association as I was leaving high school I had fallen in love with an exchange student and was convinced I was going to go to Europe and ride going to the country of Denmark there wasn't a lot of riding opportunity but I did tap into some of that and worked at a couple barns there while I was there for a half a year we still loved each other but I decided I couldn't live there and so he came back his uncle lived here i had been working for a student of gwen's who had a sales barn here and before i left and i was riding the racehorses off the track so you have a you dipped your toe in kind of every i've thing. done a lot of things <laughs> yeah. yeah with horses i've worked my way through this industry for sure yeah so she recognized that i had a talent with thoroughbreds well obviously because i was trying to ride one at a very young age yeah. and had to learn from feeling because children as young people we feel you know we don't think about all the technique we go oh well that created that response so I'll back off of that you know yeah. so I learned to feel the sensitive horse yeah so by the time I had some a little more structure 
and working for this sales barn, she noticed I had a talent with the thoroughbreds. So I was riding all the thoroughbreds that were coming from a famous vet from his stable that maybe weren't making it on the track. And so she was turning these horses over. And at the time it was a big deal, you know, thoroughbreds, she was able to sell them for what was big money back then for maybe fifteen, twenty thousand dollars mm-hmm. People were still riding thoroughbreds in dressage. The warm bloods were just starting to creep in. And then I discovered the warm bloods and you know they were fun but I really my favorite at that time was kind of a cross between the warm bloods and the thoroughbreds because they had a little more energy. In seeking, trying to seek the next best thing, I, I kept experimenting, going to clinics, trying to find other opportunities through my hard work. I had a, a regular job at a grocery store to support all of this because I wasn't making a living off of riding. But after maybe three years of doing that, I just said, I can't do this job anymore because it's making me ill. The grocery store? Yes. And I was like, you know, I'm only going to pursue riding. And this one trainer I'd been working with who was very kind and supportive, she said, I have a couple of clients that are beginners that I'm not interested in going that far anymore. How about you take them on? So I ended up doing a traveling trainer thing. And how old were you when that happened? Maybe 19 or 20. Okay, so just after high school. Mm-hmm. Did you have plans to go to college? I did not. My The funny part about that is my stepdad, as I, you know, wasn't, hadn't left high school yet, had said, like, look, what are your plans? He, he's, a, he's a high school counselor. Oh, interesting. So, so yes, he has to ask you these questions. Yes. And, and then he <laughs> retired as the JC, one of the best JC counselors and guidance classes he yeah. taught over there. So I come from parents who are educators, but I was like, no, I'm riding. I want to ride. He said, well, then you need to do research on this. And he's like, I'll, I'll match you for whatever you make. I'll match you two to one. Cool. Well, he didn't say how I had to come up with that money. So I'm like, okay, no problem. Sold my truck, sold (laughs) my horse, you know? And so he was like, uh, no. So he didn't, he didn't meet me two to one, which sent me on a, okay, if you're not going to help me because I at the time wanted to go to England I wanted to go through the British Horse Society program yeah how did that come into your forefront because I had known other trainers in the area who did that one of them was the jumping instructor I had worked with and she had spent a few years in England and I was like okay that's a good way to get some kind of um, education education and, and something that says I know a b and c well so that didn't work out so I said okay well then I'm just gonna go to Europe and follow the person I'm think I'm in love with you know when you're 17 18 years old and you think you're in love with somebody you know yeah obviously different than when you're older so I did when I turned 18 I said mom you know I I need my birth certificate I'm getting a passport and she goes you shouldn't do that I don't want you to do that and I'm like well I'm an adult I'm gonna do it being very strong-headed that's what I did and I put myself you know I hadn't even been on a bus across Sonoma (laughs) County mind you (laughs) I put myself on an airplane and flew from San Francisco to New York with a 10 hour layover, freak a kid out, you know, yeah. in New York City, and then went to Copenhagen and then Denmark. And that's how I ended up in Europe. Yeah. And d- was the plan to stay there for longer than six I, months? Yes. I thought, I'm going to, I'm in love, I'm going to marry, and I'm going to work at these barns and 
Life's going to be and perfect. And I actually did apply for the Danish writing school there. Okay. After I was married, you can do that. But it wasn't until a few years later when I was already here that they, they sent me a, a letter saying <laughs> I was accepted. I'm like, I'm not going back to live in Denmark. Sorry. <laughs> no. It's way, I have way more opportunity here. Yeah. But I needed to go there to understand that. And so you started teaching a little bit with the beginner lessons. Yeah. So how did that kind of... Well... You know, with a, a feeling and a need to keep feeling valid in what I was teaching and understanding what I was teaching and feel like I had something to stand on, I kept seeking out teachers, you know. And in this area, it was just, you know, there was Gwen and then the club was like maybe bringing in a clinician here and there. And so I would either volunteer to get hours and maybe go to a clinic or uh, if I was lucky, maybe uh, somebody I was riding a horse for might enter me in a clinic. So I really had to work my way through the industry. I would always try to find the person who had the best credentials or the most education to work with. And, well, and at the time there was no like websites or anything? There, there wasn't, no. This was like word of mouth yep. or you know you see it with your own eyes or maybe you know a newspaper clipping or something but I ended up you know if there's anybody who had a name in this county I've worked with them I kept doing that I ended up building my business gaining more students working with a, a very who's still a really dear friend of mine by word of mouth I got a job working at her farm and teaching riding lessons so that became a, a, a more secure way of financially funding my riding life and were you um, doing any showing at the time was there any? I did a little bit of showing I think I had shown maybe through first and second level on my own I didn't have a coach you know even though I had teachers I couldn't afford to pay them so I really had to be brave and say okay I'm gonna go do this and at the time it wasn't as complicated to get into a show as it is now so really that was my pattern is that I had to be brave and I had to be okay with not being the best mm -hmm. at something and trying something new and honestly it's the best way to learn you know because you learn what you're good at and you learn what you're not good at and you have to get real with yourself and so I think that really fueled my desire to keep finding the next best teacher some of the trainers I worked with you know they taught me a lot about what to do but they also taught me a lot about what not to do and overall the common theme in my life was that I wanted to be close to horses and have a relationship with them and I wanted to feel that harmony that I thought I had envisioned with my eyes as I was watching something but uh, honestly some of the routes in which those people obtained those interesting looking things that maybe your eye isn't educated to recognize they it was a little brutal and I didn't like that and it didn't leave me feeling good about what I was learning working against uh, a beautiful horse you know I wanted to have a kinship with him so I had little dribbles and tastes of that but it wasn't until I was maybe I think 23 years old that I as I was working for a client she had invited this woman out to her barn in Glen Ellen and said you know you can ride my horses in this clinic you can bring your horses or a couple students if you want you know she's famous here's a video of her she you know works at this riding school in Europe I looked at the video and I was like eh, you know it's like ballet or something but you know who is this person I don't know who she is <laughs> so I went to the clinic and at the time I had a really difficult horse I mean I'd ridden a lot of hot horse but I kind of had met my match with this young Arab he came from a line of a famous Arab that was in this area and he was a horse they had tried to start and they couldn't start 
she said, well, if you want the horse, I'll give him to you. But, you know, you have to beware because he's very difficult. And, you know, I said, oh, well, you know, I got this. Mm-hmm, of course. Yeah. Um, a friend <laughs> of mine had also had a, a couple of difficult horses that she'd sent to this gentleman out in, I think it was Byron, California, who was starting all the polo ponies. And I said, you know, maybe I'll just send him out there and have 30 days put on him. And then I'll take it from there. Well, he got him started, but he had to get him started in a Bozelt because he had such a low port in his mouth and he ended up having blind wolf teeth on top of already being, you know, a Polish Arab that was bred for racing and, and pretty, you know, a lot of temperament and character. So he was a bit tricky. And he said, you know, be really careful. You know, I got on, I rode him around. Oh, this is fine. I got it. Rode him around, took him home. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to introduce him to a bit. I put a real soft fat bit in his mouth. I thought that would be good. It wasn't thinking about the low port that possibly that was a learning moment yeah it was a learning moment and at the time I was keeping horses over at Gwen's farm she was letting me train out of there and I was riding around and he just happened to I think get his tongue over the bit and Mm. you know I'm like here have the reins I didn't wasn't riding with any real contact but it was enough for the bit to hit his mouth the way he didn't like and he wheeled backwards on me and went up and over and landed on my leg and I thought as I was going down breathe let go relax because I had a feeling if I stiffened I was going to be broken and as he rolled back up off of me and took off across the farm the the manager came over and she's like oh my gosh are you okay and I'm like I'm not really sure because I can't feel my leg you know um We'll see. Just laid there for a couple minutes and then realized, okay, yeah, I think I'm okay. I can feel my toes. Everything came back. And of course I went and got him and I got back on. But this horse kind of became the catalyst for me trying to get help and learn even a higher level of riding, which I thought, you know, I've got this. I can do these movements and stuff. But this horse was so refined that I actually had other professionals get on him with names that were like, if you can hand me back the reins, if you can ride this horse, you're good. Mm. You're really good. You are testing. (laughs) Yeah. And I went, you know, I felt desperate because I'm like, I I don't know what to do. So I had met Melissa at that clinic. I kind of foo-fooed her and went, oh, who's this lady? It wasn't until like maybe a year later, I saw an article in Dressage and CT and it had a picture of her on a famous Tricaner stallion, Serafino at the Riding Institute, Egon von Neindorf. And it showed the evolution of loading the hind leg, how the horse starts out in a, a more relaxed posture and eventually can pick itself up into a pee-off. And the article was written by a student of hers and it talked about when do you ever see riding like this in a horse show? And I went, holy moly, that's the lady that I foo-fooed? <laughs> ah. So you did the clinic and still foo-fooed her? Well, I didn't foo-foo her. I just thought she's, she was telling Not. me the opposite of what every dressage trainer had told me. And I'm talking about people who were judges who were writing the dressage tests, you know, people with names mm-hmm. who had been to the Olympics, whatnot, telling me the absolute opposite. She was telling me, you know, loosen the nose band, put the bit down, mm-hmm. let him get his tongue up and over the bit. Don't trap the horse, it yeah. was the message. Your seat isn't good enough. Your, your hands aren't good enough. You know, you have to fix you if you want this horse to go. And I thought, you know, I'm a good rider. I looked, <laughs> I looked good. I could ride all these big That 20-year-old ego. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought I, I, you know, I knew more. You know, what? who was she? 
to tell me all this when all these other people were telling me the opposite you know she was not normal well luckily I was smart enough to put the dots together and went oh dear I need to find this lady well she ended up going to my friend who I had been working as a you know teacher at her farm she ended up going to her husband as a dentist and my friend said hey do you know this lady so I heard about her through that avenue and then another lady ended up boarding at the stable I had horses at and she had was living on that on Melissa's property and had mentioned Melissa that she was work, working for her so I had like three different signals from the universe saying this is the person and so she lived locally well no she lived in germany okay and lived here and she was going to and fro but she had married one of the members of the san francisco symphony okay mm and so she was building a little von neidorf west here in sonoma county actually not far from here but i didn't know where she lived and i uh, you know got a number and I called and I left messages and I never got a call back because she I'm like she's probably remembering I'm the little <laughs> brat that rode with her you know a year previous so you know somebody kind of explained I think it was the woman at the barn explained where she was living but I d still didn't know names of streets I didn't know anything so I went I'm gonna just drive and see if I can find her house she kind of described the property so I had this vision of what it looked like well I found it oh wow yeah i found it and the the funny part is i pulled into the driveway right as she pulled into the driveway in her little station wagon bmw and was pulling her suitcases out she had just gotten back from germany interesting yeah. timing uh-huh huh. and i said hi do you remember me and she said uh yeah i remember you how can i help you kind of skeptical because she was showing just like, up at her house yeah well and also also because I had not been very receptive mm. you know I had been defensive mm -hmm. and so she was kind of like why would I give you the time of day because mm -hmm. you were rude you know in a way like young people can be I went well because I think I figured out that I'm an idiot and I actually really do want to learn from you and if you would give me a chance I would love it can I please come take some lessons from you and she goes mm, well I just got back from Germany. I'll think about it. I know you called. And I I was like, you know, oh dear, this is gonna be harder than I thought. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know what lured me to doing this, but I dropped to my hands and knees and I said, would you like me to kiss your shoes? Oh I said, God. I will do anything to ride with you. Cause I, I said, I, I surrender to this I'm throwing in the towel to whatever else I thought I knew and was doing. I surrender to this moment and to you. Can I please have a riding lesson? I'll do anything. And she's like panicking. Get up! Get up! What are you doing? She's thinking I'm probably absolutely insane, but at the same time a little bit laughing under her breath. For sure. And she goes, okay, okay, okay. Come tomorrow with your horse at 10 o'clock and I'll give you a riding lesson. It's fine. And I said, okay, so I was there beforehand, of course. As I got there, you know, she had all her students that were from out of state and everything had been staying there waiting for her with their horses. And they were all sitting on the edge of the arena on the fence line waiting to watch the riding lesson, oh. which I found out later she thought was going to be comic, that I was going to be defiant and not 
you know, go with what she said. And in fact, it was the opposite. And later, her husband, who was, you know, a member of the symphony, came out, and he was also a writer. He said, you know, Melissa says you have a little bit of talent, and she's very interested in having you continue as her student. And I was, of course, elated. It was, it was a funny moment, you know. And of course, through the years, Melissa, as I as I kept riding with her and, and uh, mentoring under her, she would, when there was a new student around and we'd go to dinner or something, she'd be like, oh, do tell the story <laughs> of how you came to me. <laughs> she loved, story. She loved to have me humiliate myself over again <laughs> and relive that moment because she thought it was so funny. Yeah. But that's how I came to met Melissa, meet Melissa Sims and really was a defining moment in my way of thinking for today and in, in how I teach and, and uh, changed my life with horses and changed my life. Period. In fact. Yeah. Developed me as a human. Yeah. So. So how long did you ride with her and did like did you almost have like an internship with her? I did. I, I rode with Melissa over the years for 22 years. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. She passed away in 2018 uh, on February February 14th. I was loyal to her. I rode with her in lessons weekly when she was around with and living there with uh, her husband at the time. And then, of course, that changed. And uh, she went back and forth between here and, and the States and eventually bought a house in Runner Park, which I had really convinced her it was the thing to do because I wanted her here selfishly. Mm -hmm. And that is actually when uh, my internship, if you want to call it, uh, started because I said, I, you know, I will help you. I'll be a working student. And that was for a span of four years that I helped her for, for the most part, day in and day out, as well as running my own barn and training business. And, so uh, you were still doing your, was it more than just beginners at the time too? Oh, oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. No, I was training horses. I had a full barn. Okay. You know. Were you training more horses or people or both? Both. Both. And dressage? Dressage. Okay. Yes. So when did it turn from you teaching beginners to then like becoming more of like a trainer? Uh, well, I think I was a trainer from the get-go because I was always able to problem solve the difficult horses mm -hmm. you know i mean my arab was beyond difficult you know he took difficult to a new level but i always had a talent for that i had other trainers in the area who have big names that were trying to groom me as coming into their program mm -hmm. but I, I but i really needed to feel independent so i continued to do that so i was already doing you know a lot yeah. with training and doing you know riding thoroughbreds or whatever came across my path you know i i'm a trainer of all horses i am not a warm-blood trainer but it has led me or a, an iberian horse trainer or a, a particular breed i've i've trained everything from icelandic ponies to gated horses to cool. warm bloods everything that's you know? all that experience you had in the yeah. past yeah yeah and and that's what i enjoy that i enjoy understanding all of that yeah and i think when I met Melissa, I finally felt that I had found a similar way of thinking that it's not about the type of horse, it's about your ability to understand that horse. And of course, at first it's really learning to be correct in your own equitation and technique. But through the struggle of learning that, you tap into your emotions and your truths about yourself 
and you go through struggle, mental struggle. And so that's part of the growth. It can make you better or you can resist it and it can make you worse. <laughs> I wanted and I loved horses so much that I allowed for the struggle and I confronted myself and I learned from those experiences and it softened me. Some of those walls maybe that I developed as a young person from the pain and suffering of losing certain things in my life. I, I was able to put those into perspective and realize and, and confront them, my truths. And you know, we, we have, it's a constant, you're never perfect. So you're always doing that. And so for today, that is, you know, what I teach in my own methodology. What's been the hardest thing with kind of your trajectory and becoming a trainer and all of that? What could you say is like the hardest thing that it has been? Well, it's, you know, I've never done anything the easy way because I really always felt like I had to earn it from the ground up. So I didn't go out and just buy that competition horse and say, okay, I'm going to go get my medals. I made myself earn whatever it is I've gained out there. And, and mind you, that's not my staple. Showing is not a staple. It's, some, it's a side note for me. Um, it's something I've challenged myself to do, but it's not really what I'm promoting. Yeah. No, I'm promoting classical horsemanship and the philosophy thereof. But I still think it's healthy to challenge yourself and to know what that's about so that you better can reflect on what the purpose of this is. So for me, I think the challenge has been financial challenges, you know, climbing that ladder you know, figuring out how am I going to stay in this industry when I don't have the backing, you know, it's not, my parents were, you know, didn't really understand it, mm -hmm. how serious I was about it and that I, I meant it when I said, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're not, they're not rolling in it. They're certainly comfortable and have made well for themselves, you know, and I think later in life they were like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. more supportive and proud, proud of what I did, but they didn't understand it. So they weren't like here. You know, let's fund this, you know, which I have to say I'm grateful for because it gave me the experiences of having to earn every step of what I do. I, I have not been catapulted into the high levels or echelons of the sport of dressage, mm -hmm. but what it sent me on was a path of discovery in learning about classical horsemanship and what actually has substance, you know, for me. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people who encounter this, they, anybody who is a horseman comes to the, to the substance of this and the, what it actually gives us as humans through that experience with horses. Yeah. yeah, and you've seen a lot of changes within Sonoma County being mm. here so long. So yeah. what are some of the positives and then some of the negatives that you've seen? The positives are that uh, it's more easy to identify the difference between what's really healthy and real in the horse community versus what's not. Uh, the negatives are that I'm finding there aren't as many of my tribe out there and I'm really, I'm personally pulling from a very thin stream of people who've woken up to something more that they want, they desire to have in a connection with horses. That it's not about the exterior of how things look or that I went out and won a bunch of ribbons, but it's really about uh, what the horse tells you. What's their feedback? Are they telling you that it's correct? And that, going back, that's how I knew I found the right person in my mentor, Melissa, because my horses told me so. Mm -hmm. They got better, I got better, they got better. Things started to feel harmonious and 
my horse's eyes changed, their bodies changed, they looked full and well fed even though I wasn't feeding them more. I felt something I had never felt before which was this flow through the horse, through me, mentally as well. Yeah, I was going to ask if someone were listening and they were kind of seeking trainers or clinicians or different things what exactly that felt like but you just explained it so yeah it's a lot of it is yeah. just an energy feeling it sounds well, like well there, physically for too. Me, yes I mean I'm I'm a very intuitive person I think horses animals make you that way if you spend enough time with them and mm -hmm. you really listen but I think for me if I if I'm looking for a good trainer which since Melissa's passing I've had to go down a road of looking for another person to work with who who is also knowledgeable i i look for people who have substance people who've actually been there done that who have spent the hours mucking the stalls who have done the hard stuff because that's really what a horseman is made of they're not made of what they see on the exterior uh, i think it was eric herberman who said all that glitters is not classical <laughs> truer words could not be spoken you know it's the, the torch is still lit, but there's not as many of us holding this torch up. And uh, Melissa, you know, in the end of her life, I think felt that she had failed somehow because she hadn't created this big wave of people who were doing this and the success that she had maybe dreamt up. But I always said, no, you know, you actually have succeeded because the torch is still lit. And that's you know, if in the littlest way I can keep the torch lit and I can bring people's awareness to how the horses are really a learning journey for us, that they're uh, there to guide us in our own personal journey of, of our truth and clear our pathways to flowing in our own selves is what they bring us to if we're trying to learn to flow with them, mm -hmm. nature. And that's a beautiful thing. And I love seeing people's faces light up when suddenly things are working out for them. And I love seeing horses become more beautiful and happy in their own lives. For me, that's the reward and there's nothing better than that. Definitely. Yeah. And within your current program, do you have more kids or adults or? You know, I teach adults. You know, I have taught a lot of kids, but I found that my niche is with adults. I like teaching people who have come to the place where they want to work with their own horses. And, you know, obviously, I think probably the last kid I took on had ended up being a working student of mine and stayed here till she was 25 years old. She actually came to live with me. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to kids, but I think unfortunately in today's society, less and less kids are learning how to earn their space in the world learn they're not learning that what actually fulfills them and makes sense of of what they're doing is the hard work they want instant results and our society has kind of brought us to that point i think with all humans but yeah. kids are learning it m more from the get-go now than obviously i did i didn't have a phone till i was in my 20s you know a cell phone or a computer or anything so yeah and if someone was curious about your program, how do they get in touch with you? Through my name, Tressa Bolden. Tressa Bolden. Yeah, and it's uh, under TressaBoldenDressage.com. Perfect. You know? And I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and we're in Sebastopol, California also. We are. <laughs> and is there anything else within your trajectory that you want to dive a little deeper, talk about? 
you know, I just, I'm trying to create a community, a camaraderie of people who have the same interest in, in learning about horses and, and learning about themselves through horses. You know, we're teaching traditional riding here and, and it's based on hundreds of years of background theory and proven theory, you know. Do you have any lesson horses or everyone that's here has their own horse? You know, I have horses that I've, I've used uh, particularly for lunge lessons. So a lot of people, in fact, a lot of trainers from other barns have sent their students to me to work on their position or balance or equitation. So I have horses that I've done that with. I'm not doing it as heavily now and I am in recent times decided that, you know, if I'm going to teach somebody with equitation, they're also going to have to get into the program because otherwise I feel a little bit like they're only getting part of the story, you know, and it leads somewhere, you know, it leads to uh, a better technique if, if you can, you know, sit correctly on a horse and balance in your own equilibrium and help their equilibrium, then you can be independent with your hands and learn how to have uh, a soft feeling where you're not working against the horse's nature. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have a favorite breed? <laughs> you know, I really love Iberian horses. I really love Lipizzaners, but then I go, I keep going. I'm like, I love Morgans, <laughs> I love Thoroughbreds, I love some Warmblood. So I would say no. And in fact, the horse that's my favorite right now is a little rescue horse. And I have no idea what he is, but he's a beautiful, Tobiano tricolored buckskin and he may even have been gated at some point I'm not sure but you know mostly what I love is I love a horse that has a lot of heart you know which is all of them if they have been of, shut down a lot of them yeah yeah and but some have a little bit more of that kind of earnest spirit and kindness and uh, they're not as guarded even though the world hasn't done them right you know and he came from a kill pen in louisiana mm. but i love that little horse a lot and i love all my horses so yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go those <laughs> are my the favorite horses all of them <laughs> um well something i ask everyone that i have on is what is something within the community that you'd like to see evolve or change and then how can you if you're not already help with that change i'd like to see people slow down and get grounded in their nature, in nature. And whether that be through a garden or through horsemanship, I think it makes us better people. And when we can stop and be aware of just the little nuances that are happening around us, we realize we have everything as opposed to thinking we have nothing. Yeah. You know, or we're, you know, searching. Yeah. So. And how are you helping with this change? I think through horsemanship. I've seen my students' lives develop and change as they're riding and learning about themselves through their horses and having to confront themselves about how maybe how they react and coming to terms with different things that maybe they want to change and they I see them changing without me doing anything but just fostering that through the horse. Yeah. So, Amazing. So. And lastly, I get to have you ask me one question as kind of what I'm doing at the end of my episode. So is there a question that comes to mind that you would like to ask me? You don't know anything about me, so. <laughs> well, how uh, did you get interested in interviewing people? 
I listen to podcasts myself and I'm a networker. I love chatting with people. I wanted to be a therapist a long time ago, but I didn't have the funds or the mental capacity for all of the school that is involved with yeah. that. So literally I just started recording and interviewing people and then it's kind of turned into this whole yeah, little I think thing. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's a great, really fun. Great thing yeah. that you're doing here. Cool. Well thank you for chatting with me. Yeah, thank you. again and thanks for tuning into Stable Connections the podcast. This is your host Shauna Burke and if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more don't forget to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode. Follow along on Instagram and Facebook and if you or someone you know wants to become a sponsor of an episode please email stableconnections.sb at gmail.com. See you next week.